don't know about you, but when I think about the phrases, I and them and they and us and you and me, that kind of perfect unity, I don't know that I'm going to experience that out of an hour out of one month. That shared fellowship, that shared heart and mind, that shared devotion. I just, I don't know how I'm going to experience that out of an hour in a month. See, even this idea that we talk about church attendance, church has become this event that we attend, that we go to, as opposed to this family that we belong to, that we participate in, that we contribute to. Hello, my friends, and welcome to episode number 20 of the Life Church Canton podcast. My name is Sam Parham. I'm the host for the show. I'm super excited that you're listening. This week is week number two of a series that we're calling Seen and Unseen. The series is a a look at the early church in the book of Acts and the way that they uh, interacted with miracles. Um, This week, Pastor Jared is specifically looking at the miracle of unity in the church and the miracle of the common unity that we find in Christ and uh, that, that he would die for us and give us a new life. So uh, I got to listen to this message a couple times. I think it's great. I hope you guys enjoy. It's good to be with you. My name is Jared. I'm one of the pastors. Welcome to Life Church. If this is your first time here, uh, we're in a series right now called Seen and Unseen where we're talking about miracles. So if you just stepped off the street and into our church, this is a big one. It's a big one for us, but we're excited to talk about it. We're not afraid to talk about the miracles that God is is doing in and among us. Uh, We've also been talking about the miracles of of the past and the miracles as we see them in the Bible. And actually, uh, one of the guiding verses that we've been looking at comes uh, just right after the heels of the biggest miracle that we celebrate as Christians, and that's the resurrection. And Jesus appears to many of his friends, his disciples, Uh, But one of them, Thomas, has a hard time believing that this actually existed, that this happened. And Jesus says this to him after he's able to touch the side of Jesus and touch his hands. This is what Jesus says in John chapter 20, verse 29. Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Our hope throughout this series is that we would be able to increase our belief in Jesus because of the miracles not only in him and in 2,000 years ago in the Bible, but also the miracles of today. So we're going to continue to talk about this, this idea of miracles. When you think about miracles, what typically comes to mind? Uh, maybe if you've grown up in the church, maybe you go to those images that are maybe like 2,000 years old, maybe the, the miracles of Jesus that where he turned water into wine or he uh, fed over 5,000 people with just a few loaves of bread and, and a couple fish. Maybe we think about those kinds of miracles. But then if you were here last week, you heard Pastor Nathan talk about miracles that have happened among us. Just three stories at least of people's lives that are being changed. Also, when we talk about miracles, maybe you get the image in your head that it is that, that. It's, a, it's an image, it's something that you see. Uh, but we've called this series Seen and Unseen because we believe that there are some miracles that happen sort of internally as well. Uh, the one that comes to my mind uh, that's the most prevalent in my mind is what you heard John talk about in the announcements that we're, we're getting excited about New Life Weekend, we're talking about baptisms. Uh, that might seem like a miracle, but the miracle that has already taken place within a person uh, happens well before the, miracle, before the baptism. It's the miracle of God entering into their lives, them saying yes to Jesus and wanting to follow their lives after him. 
That's a miracle. That's an unseen miracle. We're going to talk about another miracle today, and it might not seem like a miracle. When I say the word, you're going to think, eh, that's, that's definitely not a miracle. You might be a little confused, and you might think it's a bit of a stretch. You want to know what miracle we're going to talk about today? No? Okay, I'm going to go home. Do you want to know what miracle we're going to be talking about today? All right, a little bit of participation is good. We're going to talk about the miracle of unity. Of unity. Say what? Yeah, Unity. Now, already in your minds, you're thinking, that's, that's not a miracle. I don't understand why that would be a miracle. This is going to be a bit of a stretch. But because Jared seems like a nice guy, I'll stick around and listen to what he has to say. Okay, that's good enough for me. Now, we're going to talk about unity as a miracle. Now, let's think about this for just a second. We might not think of it as a miracle. That may be a bit of a stretch for some of us. Uh, also, when we talk about the title of the series, Seen and Unseen, is unity something that you see? Or is it, is it more unseen? Or when unity is happening or when it's happened, do, do you know it? Are you able to tell when unity is taking place? Or is it more of just, a, just kind of a feeling? Is unity something that you feel? Or on the opposite side of things, is it you, you definitely feel something when there isn't unity? I'll give you a really cheesy example. I love Oreos. I love Oreos. And in fact, I love double-stuffed Oreos. I want to be specific about this. Oreo thins, complete waste of time, okay? The regular Oreos, okay, now we can talk. Double stuffed, absolutely. The mega stuffed Oreos, that's too ambitious. I can't, can't do that. But the double stuffed Oreos I love. Now, how many of you have ever had a non-brand, off-brand, generic Oreo? Raise your hand. Yeah, yeah, they're disgusting, right? I can see the, the view of your face. They're gross. It, it, it's made to look like an Oreo. It feels like an Oreo. It might even be packaged like an Oreo. But the moment you take that first bite, you just feel betrayed. You feel cheap. You feel like you've been tricked. Am I right? Yeah. I wonder, I want a bit of a cheesy analogy, but I wonder if that's what it feels like when, when unity isn't there, when it's not present. Unity is a, it's a big, ambiguous, loaded term right now, especially within our culture, especially as we're preparing for yet another election year. It has all kinds of political ramification, this idea of unity. Let me ask you this question right now. Do you feel our country is unified? Would it be a miracle if it was? <laughs> Absolutely. How would we know when we've achieved it, when we've gotten it, when we're pursuing it? How, how do we know? It's a big term right now. We could talk about what unity is, and we're going to spend a majority of time doing that, but I think it's also important to acknowledge what unity is not so that we're staying on course with what it is. One of the things that I want to be clear about in this particular message is that unity is not conformity, just conforming. I want to show you what I'm talking about. There's a video that we're going to look at in just a second. It's from 1962, a taping of this show. Some of you maybe remember this show, Candid Camera. Let's take a look. Hey, everybody. Sam here real quick. I'm going to leave the audio in from the video that Jared used during this message. Um, but if you want to actually watch the video that he's referencing, I link that in the show notes below. All right, back to Jared. The gentleman in the elevator now is a candid star. These folks who are entering, the man with the white shirt, the lady with the trench coat, and subsequently one other member of our staff will face the rear. And you'll see how this man in the trench coat <laughs> tries 
to maintain his individuality, but little by little, he looks at his watch, but he's really making an excuse for turning just a little bit more to the wall. Now we'll try it once again. Here's the candid subject. Here comes the candid camera staff, three of them at least. And uh, this man has apparently been in groups before. I love that. <laughs> he just owns it. Just whatever. Okay, I'll just turn around. How many of you have ever done that on an elevator? How many of you have an elevator at your place of work? Okay, do me a favor. Do that the next time you get on an elevator and just make people feel uncomfortable. It'll be the best. I want to hear how it goes for you. No, unity is not conformity. It's not just being a robot and just doing everything that everybody else is doing. That's not what we're talking about when we talk about unity. It's not just sameness or maybe a deeper term. It's not homogeneity. It's not where everybody looks the same, talks the same, believes the same, acts the same. That's not what unity is either. Let's begin to talk about what unity is. But I want to make sure that we ground this in our faith and ground this in God's word and ground this ultimately in what Christ prays for when he prays for unity. It's in John chapter 17. If you have a Bible, I would encourage you to take that out. If you don't have a Bible or you're newer to church, we will always have it on the screen so that you can follow along in that way. But we're going to read from John chapter 17. Just a couple verses in verse 20 to 23. Jesus is praying and he says this, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one. And as you are are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. I've given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. I want to ask you again, is unity a miracle? Is what Jesus is praying for That perfect unity, would that be a miracle if that were achieved? Let's revisit the definition of miracle that Nathan gave us from Webster just last week. An extraordinary event manifesting divine intervention in human affairs. May they be at one as you and I are one. This This is a very divine interaction that Jesus is having with his father as he prays. It's a very interesting thing that's being said. It's almost almost like this mystical thing that's happening. I mean, just listening to some of these phrases, once again, they will be one as you and I are one, as you are in me and I am in you. May they be in us, I am in them, and you are in me. I mean, this is really kind of bizarre language. But it it begins to reveal this very unique and intimate and covenant relationship between God and his son Jesus and with all of humanity. What Jesus is praying for is, is a miracle. But also I think it's important to recognize that what Jesus is praying for isn't anything new. It's it's not anything original. See We'd actually have to go back all the way to the beginning in Genesis to the creation narrative and we would find that this was the intended hope ever since the very beginning. 
It's kind of hard to miss if you've ever read the first couple chapters of Genesis. It's really subtle, but I want to show you this verse, chapter, uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. God is speaking as he's making, uh, making the world, making the universe, creating and bringing order to everything. And this is one of the things he says in preparation to make humanity. He says, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Have you ever noticed this before, if you've read this before? What's going on here? Who is God talking to? This is really bizarre, isn't it? Who is he talking to? I mean, is this like God talking in the third person? How many of you have a friend that talks in the third person? They're weird, right? You don't tend to hang out with them all that often. I mean, it would be strange for me to stand up here and be like, you know what, it's, it's six o'clock. Jared's getting really hungry right now. Jared could really use a pizza. Yeah, we'd be really happy if Jared had a pizza right now. You would want to pray for me. Right? You wouldn't want to come to this church anymore for that matter, actually. No, that's, that's weird. Is that what's going on here? Is God just talking in the third person? See, what's happening is that God in himself is community, common unity, perfect unity. God is community. I don't know if you've ever thought about that before, but the church has talked about that for several thousand years, last 2,000 years, this idea of the Trinity, three in one. God is multiple persons. God is community in himself. If you don't know much about that, actually, Life Church, before I got here, did a sermon series about that back in March. They talked about the Trinity. But God, in God, is community. And actually, if we take that a step further, if we believe that in God is community, we were created in the image of God. Not me singularly, but we collectively were created to reflect the image of God, to reflect God's community. And so if I only ever think about it in terms of myself as an individual, then I miss out on the diversity of God, the community of God, the perfect unity of God. If I only make life all about me. You heard Marissa talk about that, that verse in Philippians. We give up ourselves, our selfish ambition. We become like Jesus, who is perfectly embodying community. Especially in the area of diversity. We're talking about racial reconciliation or racial justice. It's important that we think about this idea uh, of God not being colorblind or us not being colorblind. It, it can be sort of an innocuous phrase to say, well, I'm colorblind. I don't see color. But in the same way, it can also assume that somehow color is wrong or color is bad and that we're not supposed to see color. But what if I told you this, that God is not colorblind. God is colorful. In God is community and diversity and perfect union. So why is Jesus praying this prayer for perfect unity? Why would he feel the sense to pray that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them just as much as you love me? Why would he need to pray that? Because the world wasn't unified. We've got this whole section of the Old Testament that shares just story upon story upon story of disunity. In fact, it begins all the way back in Genesis chapter 4. We, we already get disunity in chapter 4. That's where we get the, the first murder. And it's a brother killing a brother out of his pride and jealousy and comparison and competitive nature. And then it sets the trajectory for all of human history that's filled with more violence and destruction and murder and disunity. 
So absolutely, Jesus is praying for a miracle to happen. He's praying for unity, perfect unity. And after this prayer, what happens? He gets murdered. He is killed. He is crucified. But we don't lose hope as followers of Jesus because we know that in his death, he put to death the disunity that existed in the world and began this process of restoration and reconciliation and unity that became possible through his resurrection to say that death is not the end. New life is coming and it spawns this new community that, that, that joins and is part of a brand new way of living. And we get to see this just a few chapters later after the book of John, we get into the book of Acts. If you do have a Bible, just turn a few pages. We're in Acts chapter 2. I want to read to you how they describe this new community that is formed. This is how it's read in chapter 2, verse 42. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared their money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared, are you getting annoyed with me yet? Are you getting the point? Shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. I tried to make it just a little bit obvious about how this community is described. They shared, they shared, they shared. I'm dealing with two seven-year-old girls right now and an eight-year-old boy, and sharing is constantly something that we're talking about. We have to give up something of ourselves and let somebody else have it. Even a child can't do that. We have to be taught how to do that, especially when all of human history has says, no, this is mine, and I'll kill to get mine. I'll destroy to get mine. And in case we forgot it, Luke, the writer of this book, says two chapters later, describes what this community is all about once again in case we forget. This is in chapter 4, verse 32. All the believers were united in heart and mind. They felt that what they owned was not their own. So they, what's that word? Shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them. Because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. Let me ask you again, is unity a miracle? Would it be a miracle if I could say today about the United States of America, there are no needy people among them because those who own land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need? Would that be a miracle if we experienced that today in 2019? Man, I want to be a part of that. I could get on board with that. This is what unity leads to. This is what Jesus' prayer was all about and what he had in mind for this community to exist. Now, there's a lot of hard stuff in here. The, the first thing that comes to my mind, actually, as I read these passages, I'm, I'm, makes me incredibly grateful 
is what has taken place the last two months. I, I see a lot of almost communal living that takes place in these passages. I, in the last two months, I've lived with a family. My whole family, their whole family. We have three young kids, they have three young kids, all under the age of eight. It's a miracle that we are surviving, right? It's incredible that this has happened. And in fact, I would say it's almost a miracle that I've maintained the use of my own toothbrush. I think it's mine anyway. No, but that, that verse sticks out to me that what they owned was not their own. I don't feel like I own anything as I share a house with nine other people under one roof and young kids that have a hard time themselves sharing. But we're both believers in Jesus. We both look to him and out of him flows everything in our lives. And it's been actually a very incredible experience, a humbling experience. I've learned a lot about myself, but I've also learned about this family and learned a ton about the heart of God and the character of God in this process. I wouldn't trade it for the world. Perfect unity draws people together in situations that seem completely unrealistic. And yet this is what I've experienced. There's, there's a lot of other hard stuff in this passage, but what ultimately what these images are trying to give us is this idea of what the Greeks called koinonia. There's also another word, koina, uh, but when we put these two words together, essentially what we're looking at is all things in common. All things common. So I said earlier what unity is not, it's not conformity and it's not homogeneity. It's not a bunch of robots and it's not everybody that looks the same because what's existing in this passage here is actually people from all different kinds of backgrounds coming together and holding all things in common. What was their commonality? The resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus. And 2,000 years later, it's the entire reason that we exist as a people group, as a community, who come together, who sing songs, who give money, who participate in a meal that we're going to participate in a little bit later on. We do all of these things because it's centered on the resurrection of Jesus. And it doesn't matter our backgrounds. It doesn't matter our differences. This is this koinonia, perfect unity community. It's an incredible thing that's happening. Everybody in the early church had this mindset that everybody belonged, everybody was included, everybody had value. There's incredible stories that come out of this history in the early church. What had happened is there were villages that were getting ravaged by plagues and sickness and death and nobody would take care of them. They were written off in their society in that time. But Christians were the ones that would go into those communities, into the fire, essentially, and care for these people. When everybody else said, don't go, don't do it, it's going to be harmful. You're going to get sick and you're going to die as well. But they would go and they would care for them because they believed that death was not the end and that people mattered. And some of them got sick, some of them even died. But they just didn't care. They were so passionate about their commitment to this idea that everybody belonged, that they wanted to pursue this koinonia kind of community. All things in common. Because the resurrection happened. They were centered on that. They made all the difference. And they pursued everybody, cared for everybody that everybody else had given up on. But here's the thing is there's a result of their unity. We read that in Acts chapter two, in the last verse, it says, daily God added to those, to their fellowship, those who were being saved. Salvation became the result of their perfect unity. 
Are we, are we talking about salvation like, like accepting Jesus and praying a prayer to accept Jesus and become his follower? Yeah, yeah, probably. That has a lot to do with it, but it's not just about the individual. So it's about whole communities experiencing this restoration, this salvation, if you will. People who had needs got their needs met, and eventually it says in chapter 4 that nobody had any needs. I'd say that's a form of salvation as well. Whole communities being restored. This has earthly implications as well, not just eternal implications. That's incredible. That's what I want to be a part of. Now, let me ask you, what does the church look like today? Does it look like koinonia? Does it look like all things in common? I mean, there's some hard things that we have to wrestle through. I mean, let's just take it through these verses in chapter 2. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. All right, we've got that. Check. We're done. I'm teaching. You're listening. Hopefully you're listening, not falling asleep. We're good there. We're going to share in meals together. We're going to share in communion in just a little while. All right, check. A deep sense of awe came over them all. Maybe that's going on right now. Let's hope. And then the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. <sighs> Ooh, there's a lot of pressure there. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Let's just continue on. All the believers met together in one place. They shared everything they had. That's a little harder to talk about. They sold their property, possessions. Verse 46, they met, they worshiped together at the temple each day. All right, Life Church, we're going to have to change our service hours. We're going to go every day now, Sunday to Saturday from 9 to 5. That's going to be our near church service times, okay? Is that, is that the goal here? Is that what we're talking about? Like, what in this do we have to be mindful of? Do we have to capture? I'm, I'm sort of half joking about, you know, we're going to have church services or church gatherings every day. But at the same time, I would ask us to think about this idea a little bit. So there's a, a phrase we call church attendance. And there's stats all around our nation about church attendance right now. And that the average person attends their church one time per month. Once a month. I don't know about you, but when I think about the phrases, I and them and they and us and you and me, that kind of perfect unity... I don't know that I'm going to experience that out of an hour out of one month. That shared fellowship, that shared heart and mind, that shared devotion. I just, I don't know how I'm going to experience that out of an hour in a month. See, even this idea that we talk about church attendance, church has become this event that we attend, that we go to, as opposed to this family that we belong to, that we participate in, that we contribute to. Where we develop this mindset that what we own is not our own. My time, my finances, my cultural biases. Am I willing to share that? Am I willing to participate in koinonia community in order to perceive and pursue that true unity that Jesus prayed for? See, something changed. Something shifted in our history. There's a, there's a moment in 2,000 years ago when this church existed and it's sort of this grassroots sort of dynamic movement that's happening, but 
in about the year 313 AD, something shifted. The church went from this more grassroots movement to this sort of institutionalized system. And all of a sudden, the, the faith, Christianity, got hijacked. Unity got hijacked. It became something that the ruling class, that the empire was in charge of and could make their rules about what things looked like. And as a result, unity got hijacked. In other words, unity uh, became or started, started to look like silencing those people who didn't have any power anymore. And people were dehumanized. And often was the case that they used the Bible, they used the Word of God to justify their violent methods, to just fix people, to change people, to make them just a little bit more like them, and to make it institutionalized. It's easy to claim unity when you've silenced all of the powerless voices and you only listen to the voices that sound just like yours or listen to the people that look just like me. See, unfortunately, Christianity has a really dark history in a lot of ways. But also, fortunately, in a lot of ways, there's been a lot of people, a lot of prophetic voices that have come out of the darkness to say, no, there's a better way, there's another way. There's another way. One of those voices was Martin Luther King Jr. in the 60s, who had a vision and a dream for the miracle of unity, the kind of unity that Jesus prayed about. He recognized that this movement had become an institution that was not built on the premise of perfect unity, of koinonia, but instead it had become an institution that was built instead on segregation. In fact, he's the one that's famous for saying this idea, it is appalling that the most segregated hour of Christian America is 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. That our churches are one of the most divided institutions in America, the most segregated. He calls this out. He's got this prophetic voice, but he hopes for something different. He has a dream for something better. He begins to talk about little black boys and girls playing and holding hands with white boys and girls and playing in the streets. He realizes something different is in the future, something to hope for, something that is greater, something that is better, something that looks like a miracle, something called unity. And on the night before he is assassinated, he still has unity on his mind, and this is what he says. He says, I may not get to the promised land, but with you, I believe we We'll get there. Get where? Are we there? How do we get there? A lot of his dream has been realized, but there's still a long way to go. There's a story just in 2015 in South Carolina, there was a vote, maybe some of you remember this from the news, there was a vote to remove the Confederate flag from the Capitol building in South Carolina. As you imagine, it would stir up a lot of commotion. And on one of the hot days in the summer, there was a rally, a protest, and a bunch of KKK members were out in the street protesting this movement. But the heat was so intense, so uh, just horrible, that one man was overcome by the heat and eventually almost started to pass out until, until somebody came to help him. I want to show you this image. This is an image of Leroy Smith, a black police officer who escorted this man out of the heat into the shade and to get a glass of water. 
I don't know what emotions you're feeling right now when you see this image, if this is the first time you see an image like this. But I can tell you mine were all, all over the place. On, on one hand, lots of feelings of, of hope and joy and wow, the courage of this man, Leroy Smith, to, to do that knowing full well what this other man stood for and yet believing that this man was worthy of the shade and worthy of a glass of water. What an incredible testament to the character of God in this police officer. And on another hand, intense anger, frustration, and a lot of questions and confusion, like, well, he, did, he doesn't deserve this. Let him, let him go. This is what hate leads to, so who cares? That's what was going on in my heart at the time until I remember the Holy Spirit's work and power in my life to realize the prayer of Jesus and the words and the dreams of people like Martin Luther King Jr. And I was led to this verse in Romans 2 that says it's God's kindness that leads to repentance. Repentance is just a big churchy word for turning the other way, going away from what was wrong and going to what is right. It's God's kindness that leads us to these moments. I see God's kindness in this picture. As frustrating and as hard as it is to see, I see God's kindness. Has God's kindness led us to turn away from our sin and to pursue unity Whatever that sin might be, selfishness, greed, it's mine, I own it, I don't like those people, they don't believe like me, instead turn towards God and his kindness and his prayer for perfect unity, I and them, they and us. May they be one as you and I are one, that the world will know, the world will know that you sent me because you love me and you love them. That's a miracle. That image is a miracle. I want to be a part of that. I'm so excited to be part of Life Church that is a part of this process, participating in this kind of thing. You heard about it in the announcements. Go to a multicultural lunch. Sit down with other people that look different than you and share a meal with them. I've got to tell you this. It's really hard to have hatred for somebody when you're sitting across the table and sharing a meal together. Participating in koinonia. Maybe it could be joining a Be the Bridge small group and having very intentional, guided conversations about what it means to be part of this perfect unity and the work of racial reconciliation, racial justice. Maybe for some of you, it just looks like sharing. Sharing your resources, sharing what you have with others who don't have. Inviting somebody over for a meal, getting to know your neighbors who maybe don't go to church, maybe don't even believe like you, but sitting across from the table and listening to who they are, to who God has created them to be. In a lot of ways, it just looks like sharing our lives and putting our trust in Jesus. And some of you have never done that before. I want to invite you to stand.
as we close our time together. And as I was speaking, my sense is that God is stirring in some of your hearts that you have never felt at unity with the world or at peace with God. Today's the day to say yes to Jesus, to pursue that perfect unity that he has for us. And it could simply just be a prayer that you pray that goes like this. God, I am sorry for not living into what you have called me to be. I've been so distracted by other things, by the brokenness of the world, and I've participated in all of the things that lead to division. But God, I want unity. I want unity in my own heart. And so, Jesus, I accept you into my life to bring about peace and restoration and joy and hope. Gotta commit my life to you so that I can be part of a greater community that pursues unity, common unity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to find out more information about Life Church Canton or other churches in the Life Church Network, you can go to lifechurchcanton.org or fill out the form linked in the show notes below and someone from the church will reach out to you with more information. If you came to Life Church for the first time this past weekend, we would love to know about it. We believe that life isn't meant to be lived in isolation, but we want to connect with you and learn to live like Jesus in community together. If you want to email the show, you can do that at podcast at lifechurchcan.org. You can subscribe to this show wherever you get your podcast. And if you're enjoying it, please share it with a friend and leave us a review. Once again, my name is Sam Parham, and you've been listening to the Life Church Canton Podcast. Have a great week, everybody.